The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Living Acts Church. Good morning. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 3, we're going to get started in just a second here. First of all, I want to thank uh, Kevin for, I was scheduled to preach last week and then I was a little bit sick yet Saturday, and then Sunday morning I got up and, and uh, decided that I didn't want to faint in, up here. So I decided I better stay home. And I called Kevin at 7.30, and I said, uh, guess who's preaching? So, uh, and I gave him two hours to prepare. I think that's plenty of time. So, but thank you so much for doing that um, for us, I know the body of Christ last week. But um, also, just continue to pray. We have a lot of people with, uh, has been mentioned in our praying and in the service, just a lot of people who are sick, uh, a lot of people, the, the Smiths and others who have had some traumatic things this week, and this is what happens, and uh, this is called what we call life, and, uh, but the beautiful thing about it is we have a, a sovereign God who loves us and cares for us, and so we can come with celebration and trusting Him for all these things. So this morning, we're going to continue on with our, our study in the book of Luke, and so I want to ask you this question, what, what do you do when... when uh, you know somebody's coming to visit your house. Um, I don't know about you, but I mean, how do you prepare exactly? In my house, we, you know, we, we straighten things up a bit, obviously, and then and it depends on who's coming and uh, the purpose of their visit. If you're going to be kind of confined to the living room, then I don't worry about my little study area or the bedrooms and all that stuff. You know, you kind of fix up the, uh, you know, kind of the living room. And then, of course, you replace the Sam's Club toilet paper with Charmin. And uh, that's very important when people are coming to visit. So, but that's what we do. But no matter who's coming and for how long normally, there is some kind of preparation. So today in our seventh sermon in our series on Luke, the story of reality, we're going to start a new section in the book of Luke this morning. We just finished what was known as the infancy narrative, showing us the birth of John the Baptist, of course, and of Jesus, our Messiah. But we're now we're beginning this section. It's entitled this, Preparation for the Ministry of Jesus. And it's going to run from chapter 3 and verse 1 to chapter 4 and verse 15. So in this portion, we're going to see how preparation was made for Jesus to begin his earthly ministry. And we know that in the Old Testament, there was a prophecy in Malachi in particular that God was going to send someone like Elijah the prophet before the Messiah, the anointed one, would come to Israel. And Malachi reminded us what God the Father told the people of Israel. In Malachi 4, he said this in verse 5. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children in the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the degree, decree of utter destruction. And along with prophecies of Isaiah, which we're going to see today in the book of Luke, we see that God was sending someone to prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. And his job in particular was to prepare the hearts of the people to receive the good news of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God was in fact here. And it was a crazy preparation. I mean, there was this guy, John the Baptist, that we read about who was a, what we'd call, I guess, a typical kind of Old Testament prophet, prophet, a little bit strange in some ways. Matthew describes him 
as he's wearing a garment of camel's hair. I was going to do that this morning, but my camel decided he was against it. And then a leather belt. That made no sense at all, but anyway. And then a leather belt around his waist. He was eating locusts and wild honey. And as we're about to learn in the message, that his message, in fact, was not some kind of milk toast, mamby-pamby message, but it was a hard-hitting message and to the point, which kind of leads us to the big picture. Every week we can have a big picture idea of the sermon, and this week is simply this, is that true repentance brings genuine change, that true repentance brings genuine change. So John's preparation was one, first of all, of humbling the people of Israel, warning them of this judgment to come, and then requiring them to truly repent as, as he relied upon the power of the Holy Spirit in his preaching. So with that brief kind of introduction to our sermon this morning, will you please stand with me in the honor of reading God's word? And we're going to read all 21 verses. So if you need to hold on to the chair uh, for a few of the verses, that, that's good. This is the word of the Lord. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make its path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to be due likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is to coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <coughs> now we're going to begin working our way through this passage this morning. And the first thing I want you to see is just simply the time of preparation in verses 1 and 2. As we talked about in our first message of Luke, Luke, the physician, was also a very strong historian. And he had a friend, Theophilus, and, and he wanted to make sure that Theophilus, Theophilus understood these truths concerning Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So he was very precise in his writings. And so he begins in chapter 3 by telling us the exact time of John's preparation and the, the day in which they, they lived in, the type of evil day in which they lived. So notice it mentions in verses 1 and 2, seven men. You have a guy named Tiberius Caesar who was an emperor of the Roman Empire. And then you have Pontius Pilate who was the governor of the procurator of Judea. And Herod was a tetrarch of Galilee, and Philip was the tetrarch of Iteria and Traconius, or Traconitis. If you say it really fast, it doesn't matter. So you have to say it fast. That's the key to Old Testament reading. Did you know that? <laughs> say it fast, pretend like you really know what you're talking about. Okay? Uh, Licinius is another tetrarch. And then came Annas and Caiaphas. And both of them were high priests, though at this time Caiaphas was the true high priest. And I don't have time to talk about all the atrocities and the evils that the, these men did. And look them up sometime and study them yourself and you'll see what evil hearts and wickedness they constantly were evoking then among the people. And we're going to see about Caiaphas a little bit later on when and we look at the crucifixion. But Annas and Caiaphas were both part of a degenerate priesthood of Israel. But the point is at this time during which the preparation was occurring for the Messiah to come, there was a time of great darkness. Evil men were ruling. And eventually, John the Baptist, as you know, he would be beheaded because of these evil men. The, this world we live in has never been a nice place. It still isn't a nice place because of the sin problem. But this world was especially dark. And the people of God were especially at this time lifeless spiritually. And in many ways, it's, it seems like this is what we see in our world today. But again, we've seen this for ages, evil men often ruling countries, causing wickedness to reign. And what our hope is, of course, is the same hope that the people of Israel had, the hope of the Messiah. That is, for us, that he, he, for us, he has come and his powerful message of the gospel can and will change people's lives. So that's kind of the, the beginning of the time of preparation. But I want you to notice now the word of preparation. Verse 2 says this, the last part of verse 2, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went to all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now, this was a kind of classic Old Testament prophetic call of a man who had received the very words of God. The word of God came to John, it says, in the wilderness. And we see similar places in the Old Testament where the word of God came to Isaiah in, in Isaiah 38 and in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 13, and chapter 13 also. So the word was directly from God. It wasn't a word to be disputed or questioned in any sense. It was clearly from the king, from God himself. So he must listen and, and so must the people. But I want you to notice in verse three, what that general word was that he was supposed to be preaching here. In particular, it was this. Now look what it says, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
And as we will see, it, it, it wasn't the action of baptism that caused the repentance and forgiveness. It was a sign of that repentance. And so John called the people to repent, to turn from their sin. And it's that, of course, repentance is an attitude that, that brings a change of direction. And then the acceptance of that baptism was an indication that they had actually done so. So John's baptism was different from our baptism today. Uh, Daryl Bach explains it this way. He says that, he says that John's baptism is a one-time rite in preparation of God's approaching salvation. And he says its roots go back to the Old Testament association of the Spirit's presence and washing in Ezekiel chapter 36. And though John makes clear that Jesus is the one who brings the Spirit, John's baptism pictures a preparation for God, what God will do in Jesus. And so John's baptism is different from Christian baptism. John's baptism is gonna look forward while Christian baptism assumes Jesus' provision of the Spirit. John's baptism, it anticipates the Spirit's coming. And while Christian baptism reflects the Spirit's arrival through Jesus. And if you want some proof of this, so to speak, in Acts chapter 19 and verses 1 through 10, we see uh, what reinforces that picture that John's baptism is what we call anticipatory and, and not an end in itself. While some disciples in, John, in uh, Acts chapter 19 appear in Ephesus who only knew John's baptism, they're led by Paul, in this case, to experience what John's washing anticipated, the experience of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So when these people were taking John's baptism in Acts chapter 19, they were declaring themselves open to God in his ways. They were awaiting the rest of God's promise, which was the Messiah. And so with that kind of introduction to all this, the, the word of preparation came from God. We learned that. And what was that word? It was the proclaiming of a baptism of repentance. But now I want you to notice this, the, what the purpose of the preparation was. Why did John the Baptist actually come? In verse four, it says, that the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And this is what he was to do. He was to make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. So that was the purpose of the preparation. That was a quotation from Isaiah 40 in verses 33 through 5, and it's fulfilled in what John's purpose was. You see, when a ruler or some kind of big shot was going to come to town, a special ruler, the town would construct uh, some kind of really broad road so that they would enter with all the pomp and circumstance that was befitting such a person. And notice this passage from Isaiah indicates this wasn't simply a simple little path that he was to make for the Messiah. It was, in fact, John the Baptist was to make a great thoroughfare to which the people would be prepared to welcome and embrace Jesus as the Messiah, as the actual Savior of the world. Now, of course, this, this wasn't a physical road to be prepared by John. He didn't call the local construction company and, and say, hey, could you fix the roads? Could you make the mountains a little bit flatter right here and there? No, this, this was a spiritual road that he was constructing. And he was sent by God to prepare the hearts of the people for the good news of what was going to be our salvation, the death, 
the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ to the right hand of the Father. And so now we've already noticed that the spiritual road has been mentioned, but, it, but it, this road, in fact, is the road of repentance. It's the road of turning away from sin and turning to God for the forgiveness of sin. And the question is, well, now what do we learn from this? Well, repentance sometimes in our world today and, and even in the Christian world is a dirty word. It's kind of a dirty word in the Christian church because true repentance requires a real turning away from sin and a real turning to God. And that's the key. It's, it's real. It, it has to actually happen. So this purpose of preparation that John was doing is to lead the people and to, uh, in us to repentance. Now, with that understood, let's now see what I've entitled this, the, the necessity for preparation. Why was John's preaching necessary to, uh, to do this very thing called repentance? Why was this, repu- this repentance concept so important? Well, look at verse seven. Here's what he says. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. And that's key. Did you hear that? These crowds are coming out to be baptized by John. And here's what he says to him. I love this. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. You remember what he made us from? Starts with a D. Dirt or dust, yeah, right. Just from dust or dirt. Well, he can do that from stones too. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, I want you to think about this. What is John doing here? There are multitudes of people coming to him to be baptized by him. And what does he do? He yells at them. That just doesn't sound right. That's like me this morning getting up, just kind of start yelling at you all. You know, you've come to church to worship the living God, and I'm going to stand up here and just start yelling at you for about something. And so they're probably thinking, wait, John, don't you, don't you see? I, I've come to follow your teaching. Don't you get it? I, I want to be baptized. I, I want to follow you. But he calls them a brood of vipers. And by the way, just for, uh, you can put this, something not to get me for a present. I hate snakes. So uh, they are terrible creatures. Not sure why God made them at all. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I lived in Alaska for so long was because there were no snakes there and I was afraid to come down here. Okay, so I, snakes are awful. And John's idea of calling them snakes, well, that takes us back, of course, to the Garden of Eden. It reminds us of Satan. It reminds us of snakes also fleeing a brush fire, you know, trying to escape but with no intention of changing their evil hearts. So John is preaching true repentance here. He is telling them, your heart needs to be changed. And this baptism, he says, doesn't mean anything unless your heart is changed. He tells them, bear fruits, he says, in keeping with repentance. You remember the big picture again today? True repentance brings genuine change. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Matthew 7, I want to read this passage from Jesus, Matthew 7 and verses 16 through 21, to help us understand a little bit about this whole fruit idea. 
Um, so you probably remember Jesus' words in this passage. But Matthew 7 and verse 16 says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is Jesus speaking again. Are, are grapes gathered from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is heaven. So listen to me today concerning this. If your life, if my life is the same before we trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, as it is now, we haven't repented. You see, true repentance brings fruits of repentance, which includes a couple of things. One, the fruit of character. We often call this the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But it also produces the fruits of actions, as we're going to see in just a bit here. But I want you to notice that Luke goes on to record John's words, and he warns the people even that, you know, that being a Jew does not mean that you don't have to repent. Because you have this ethnic heritage where you have been, you know, you might have been given the law, the prophets, the, the whole sacrificial system, and you are God's chosen people, that doesn't mean, he tells them, that you do not need to repent. And you can kind of see, if, you're, if you have any kind of brain at all, which I know you do out there, okay, you can see the obvious application for us here in East Texas. Churches abound. If you ask most people, if they are Christians, what do you think they're going to say? Yes, I'm a Christian. And then if you ask them, well, why am I, why are you a Christian? Well, most of them will say things like, well, I was baptized when I was young. Um, I'm a member of so-and-so church, or I go to church occasionally, or uh, my parents go to this church, and I kind of grew up in the church. Or you might hear this one. This one's a big one, too. Well, I treat people really well. Well, you know, all that is is Islam. You realize that. That's all it is. All it is is Islam. That's Islam. That's, that's when you stand before God, and what is God? Allah. They call him God or Allah. What does he do? Well, he says, you got your good works and you got your bad works. And if one outweighs the other, I might let you into heaven, he says. That's all that is. It's a works salvation. And John was warning these Jewish people that the necessity for receiving Christ, the Messiah, it's repentance. Thinking that because they were Jews, they would just kind of automatically have the blessings of the Abraham covenant. Well, that was completely false. In other words, don't trust in your religious ancestry. Whether you're a Jewish person or whether you're an Islamic person or whether you come from some kind of Christian background, don't trust in your religious ancestry. Because John says that God, he can take a rock and he can make Abrahamic children out of that rock. So don't think you're special just because you come from a certain background or you're, you have the uh, privilege and pleasure of living in beautiful East Texas, right? Now, and, and don't think us who live in the Bible Belt, again, blessed with so much good Bible teaching and all that, that we don't have to repent again. 
we must repent. And he warns us, we must turn from our sin to Christ for we're all snakes basically without Jesus. But I want you to look now, look at verse nine for a third reason why John's preaching was for preparation was a necessity. Look at verse nine. This is another, these are tough verses when you really look at them. Verse nine says that even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now that is a scary warning from John. No fruit in your life, the ax is laid at the root of your life. You will be destroyed and judged without embracing the truth of Jesus. And I realize that is, that's tough stuff, but it is necessary for us to hear such things. You can go to church every week of your life. You could have been baptized again. You can take communion. You can just be a good old nice guy or a nice girl. But without repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, the ax is laid to the root of your tree. This is what John is saying. And, and, and all of us, you know, most of us can rejoice and we can say, I've trusted Christ alone, I know that for sure, and, and I bear fruits of repentance. But if that's not clear in your life, if that's not part of your life, it's time to look inwardly and it's time to pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, what happens exactly when people repent? I mean, that's the question now. I mean, we know we're supposed to, right? The people in verse 10 are, are stricken by John's word. I mean, they, they, think, they thought they were right with God because they wanted to be baptized, right? They're all coming out to see him. So of course I'm right with God. But John says here, in what I've called the fruit of preparation in verse 10. Look at verse 10. And the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also ask him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. Now, notice with me that, that John indicates that true repentance involves fruit in action. It, it involves a change in the heart and results in the change of everyday behavior. So if you have two tunics, that is undershirts, <laughs> so weird, share with the person that has none. Okay, so if you have two undershirts, I don't have one on right now, so I can't share with you, but you give it to somebody else. If you're a tax collector, only collect what you're authorized to do and not more to pad your bank account by forcing people, as in that day, to give more than they were allowed to take. If you were a soldier, which by the way, they do not make a whole lot of money, these soldiers, but don't extort money from people with force, which is what they would do. Be content with what you make. You see, these are ethical changes that John is telling is proof of or fruit of true repentance. But I do want you to notice something, and this is really important. He didn't tell them to do a penance of some sort to cover their sin. You know, he didn't say, you go do five good things or say five things, and then you're good. Nor did he tell them to go to church more. 
so there was some, was there some kind of ecclesiastical kind of commitment that was necessary to repent? Nor did he tell them to do something even devotional, you know, pray through the Psalms or, or do something, certain kind of set of prayers. Now he said, change your behavior, that will be proof of your change of heart. Now I realize, and you realize, that there are even some people who do some good ethical things and then say, see, I'm a Christian, but they truly aren't because the reason they do those good ethical things have nothing to do with the salvation that they've found in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that they have found in Jesus Christ by repenting and turning and trusting Christ's work on the cross for their salvation. (coughs) But Jesus told us about the fruit that comes from, that kind of fruit that comes from us. But if you're truly regenerate, if, if you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you have been imparted new spiritual life, truly born again, your trust in Christ will be evident truly as you do treat others. And how we treat others is certainly a test of our heart. Jesus said this to us in Luke 6, which we'll get to obviously, be merciful even as your father is merciful. So we're called in this passage to look at our life to see if we have the fruits of repentance. And John was telling these people who wanted to be baptized by him, first, check your heart. Are you truly repentant of your sin? But notice with me now the future after preparation, after this message of repentance to the people, John tells them of why he was there preaching this baptism of repentance And listen what it says in verse 15, as the people were in expectation now, after all this preaching from John, and they were wondering, they were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether maybe he's the Christ, maybe he's the Messiah, excuse me. And John, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who's mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. So three things we see here, all concerning the reason he was a voice crying in the wilderness. The first thing was simply what we've been saying all along is that the Messiah was coming. They thought that John might be the Messiah. He says, no, I'm not the Messiah. One is coming whose straps of his sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. And remember, one of the things that slaves used to do for their masters was to take off their sandals. And of course, in the Middle East during this time, there was not concrete. So basically, you were walking through a lot of doo-doo, okay, and a whole bunch of stuff, and it was pretty nasty. And so you wouldn't want to take your own sandals off, so you have your slaves do that. But John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. Not even worthy to do that. So in other words, I am not the one. I'm not the Messiah. But one is coming who is so great that there's no comparison. But then secondly, he says this, there's a greater baptism coming. My baptism, John is telling us, is about what is to come. It is simply a a preparatory baptism to prepare for the true Messiah. I baptize you with water, John says, but he who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And when it is said of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, he's not referring here to a water baptism, but a baptism with the Holy Spirit. 
John is telling us what the future holds for these people. And then obviously for us, John will send, or excuse me, Jesus will send the Holy Spirit to us who trust in his death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And those who, who believe are purged and taken in, and those who reject are tossed away like chaff. 17 says, his winnowing fork is in his hands to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire, which tells us of the third thing that we learned from this section that Jesus is gonna judge, uh, that Jesus is the judge and that he will judge. You know, there are some people who still teach in this world such a belief of salvation of something called universalism that everybody's going to be saved. It's just not true. And Jesus and John are making it very clear here. All will not be saved. And as the farmer takes his wooden fork to throw the wheat up into the air so that the seeds fall to the ground and to be used, and then the chafe, the, the, the shaft, the, the bad stuff just kind of blows away, and then it's burned up, so will Jesus be Lord and judge. So John prepares the way for the people by showing the Messiah's coming, indicating a greater baptism was coming and that judgment was coming. But finally, I want us to just see this, the consequences of preparation. So with many other exhortations, he preaches good news to them. Verse 18, but Herod the Tetrarch who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. You see, the consequences of his preparation, John's preparation was twofold, one bad for John and one good. The bad was that Herod, one of the bad boys mentioned in verse one, arrests him, puts him in jail for standing for Old Testament law truth, that it was wrong for Herod to marry Herodias. Both of them left marriages to marry each other and Herodias had been married to a near blood relative and to marry her was forbidden by Jewish law. So Herod also had done many other terrible things it tells us in this passage and John pointed them out. The second though was a good thing and that Jesus began his public ministry by being baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. It, it was to identify with John's message of repentance, not that Jesus needed to repent, but to show that that was the message that the people of Israel needed to hear. They needed to repent. Now, we're gonna see this message of repentance throughout the book of Luke. So let me close with this and just simply say this. We've seen a whole lot of stuff today. I run through a lot of things. We've seen this time of preparation, this word, this purpose, this necessity, this fruit, this future, and now this consequence. But through all this, here's what I wanted you to learn, that John came to prepare the people's hearts to receive the Messiah, to receive the Savior and King of the world. And remember what the main message is, we must repent. He came to prepare by teaching us, imploring us, begging us, telling us the truth that we must repent. We must turn from our wickedness and we must turn to Jesus. So I only have one way to end this message this morning is to beg you, and I'll do that, in Jesus' name, to repent if need be. If this is where your heart is, if your heart is not right with God, repent. Turn from that sin and turn to Jesus. Fall on your face before God. And I, and I love Luke 18. Can't wait to get there. 
And that is just simply where that, that one cries out and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what God promises to do in Christ Jesus? He says that he will save. And not only that, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and you will receive the Holy Spirit who has regenerated us so that we could even believe in the first place and to fill us to live this life for his glory. And if you have come to saving faith in Christ and, and you have truly repented, this morning I, I want to, you to just rejoice in the fact that God the Holy Spirit lives in you. And as we yield to him, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are able to do everything that God has called us to do in these days. And I think about Austin and Emily right now, in particular because we love them and especially, you know, uh, Austin's leadership in our church here and all the things they do. You know what? I, I just think about how much they are right now relying on the power of the Holy Spirit right now. They, because that's what they do. Because they, they, they love God and they've repented and trusted him. And so we can rejoice together in that. And whatever needs you have, same thing. Rejoice in the fact that as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he will do exactly what he plans to do for our lives, for the glory of his name. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. God, how grateful we are that you teach us this simple concept of repentance and the necessity of it. Lord, I am so much thankful for the people of the Living Acts Church. Lord, I love them. I, I, I missed them last week. And God, I pray for all of us together. God, may we continue to yield ourselves to be filled with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash livingactschurch.com.